Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks for being with me here on Tuesday, July the 7th. Coming up on today's show, I'm going to be talking tourism. Yeah, the Thompson Okanagan Tourism Association has a new partnership with nine community futures offices across the region. For the first time, it has signed a formal agreement to strike a task force committing to developing a relationship on the path to rebuilding a resilient tourism industry in the wake of the global pandemic. I'll be joined by the vice president of TOTA in just a little bit to talk about that partnership and how it will help the industry and the region. Now, the issue of tourism also also came up during question period today. The leader of BC's official opposition, Andrew Wilkinson, was asking about some discrepancies in federal tourism funding as a number of complaints have been shared about how Quebec and Atlantic Canada have perhaps received an unfair amount of those funds when compared to other areas of the country. So we'll visit that conversation as well. And to end off today's show, I'll be joined by the president of Research Co. as it has put out a new poll just to find out how Canadians are feeling about the idea of getting a COVID-19 vaccine and how governments at all three levels have handled the pandemic so far but to begin today's show well we are now one full week here into the month of july yes it is the seventh here today and wildfire activity has been kept to a minimum so far this fire season just how does this season compare to average well i caught up with kamloops fire center information officer taylor mcdonald to talk a little bit about the situation as it stands right now so, so far in the Kamloops Fire Centre, we've had 40 fires to date uh, since April 1st that have burned 119 um, hectares in the Kamloops Fire Centre. Um, so that is quite a bit lower than our 10-year average in the Kamloops Fire Centre, which is 104 fires to date with 1,613 hectares burned. Um, so we have seen a lot of periodic rain throughout the months of April, May and June and into early July that has helped to keep the fire activity quite low within our region. Yeah, and, and the fire risk, every time I've been driving down the highway and I've seen those signs talking about the fire risk, I mean, it's always been in the green pretty much the entire year. Is that normal, I guess, for this point in time? Normally, I would think we'd at least see a little bit of heightened levels of, of wildfire threats, I guess, at this time of year. Yeah, so right now our fire danger rating in the Kamloops Fire Center is low, um, and it, over the past week it has kind of increased um, from very low. And around this time last year, I think the fire danger rating was fairly similar. Um, it is a bit different from past years, say 2017 and 2018, when we saw a little bit of an increase in fire activity, um, definitely a bit higher in the danger rating as well. And what are we looking at right now in terms of, you know, current activity? How many fires are there in the Kamloops Fire Center at this time? Are there any? Yeah, so as I said earlier, we've had 40 fires to date. Um, one fire is currently active. We did see a bit of lightning pass through the region last night and could have potentially started some holdover fires. So we're still assessing some reports that have come in from last night. But other than that, I think most of the um, lightning that came about last night was followed with quite a bit of precipitation. 
So is it rain that's made the biggest difference here at this point in time? Is, do you think that that's probably the biggest contributing factor to keeping uh, fire activity low? Or I know as we go through COVID-19 here as well, there's been a lot fewer people kind of out and about, probably less chance for them to, you know, start human-caused fires and, and, you know, flicking their cigarettes out the window while they're driving. There's just probably less opportunity for that. I mean, is it a combination of both that's really kept things, you think, uh, to a minimum so far this year? I think the severity of a fire season is really dependent on weather patterns. So as I kind of mentioned earlier, earlier, we've been seeing a lot of periodic rainfall throughout the spring months and into the summer months as well. And it just really depends on how often and how much rainfall that we do see. So the rainfall that is received periodically throughout the spring and into June and even into July this year um, has kept our larger fuels quite wet and quite damp um, so they do require longer drier peri- drying periods when this does happen um, which leads them to ignite less likely than they would if it was quite warm outside and as you mentioned they have we did have our provincial um, category 2 category 3 and resource management open fire bans in earlier this year from April until mid-June so that has also kept um, fire activity quite low I believe Perfect. And I guess just, you know, as we are now a week into July and uh, no guarantees that the weather's going to get better, at least it doesn't feel like it at this point. But if, you know, we do start to see a little bit more sunshine, if we do start to see a little bit more movement of people in terms of planning their summer activities, little whether it be camping vacations or things along those lines, what's the message? Um, you know, it's something that you guys deliver here every year, but what is the message to people in order to make sure they're, they're being safe with their fires and, and not starting um, any incidents uh, that can potentially get out of control? Yeah, it's just a good reminder to everyone to be careful with their fire use outdoors. And um, as we start to see people outside more often um, in those summer months, enjoying campfires and enjoying the weather, um, it's just a good reminder to never leave campfires unattended and make sure that they are cool to the touch if you are planning to leave them for an extended period of time. Um, And just making sure that you have all the proper equipment and tools on site, as well as making sure that you um, are at your campfire at all times. Perfect. Well, Taylor, thank you so much for the time here. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. You have a good day. Yeah, you as well. That was Fire Information Officer there with the Kamloops Fire Center. Taylor McDonald. So, uh, yeah, just to reiterate some of the data that she provided there. So there's been 40 fires, 4-0 fires to date in the Kamloops Fire Center region. Compare that to the 10-year average of 104 by this time in a year. So clearly well down compared to what we would normally be seeing when it comes to fire activity. Um, So this is, I think, good news. I mean, you know, I I complained a whole bunch when it comes to the weather and we're seeing so many flooding issues that have existed out there. You know, talk about what's going on in Cache Creek, uh, you know, at Stump Lake. I mean, there's lots of uh, concerns out there from people who live by bodies of water and what they're seeing in terms of water levels continue to rise. Of course, that is the negative side of everything. uh, And even just from a general enjoyment of being able to be outside, having that rainy or weather, you know, at least from my perspective, is not always ideal for those kinds of things. But it does have a positive spin off in the sense that we aren't seeing any significant fire season happen at this point in time. So 40 fires to date in the Kamloops Fire Center region. Compare that to the 10-year average of 104 by a July 7th in a given year. So that is overall good news. And even just taking a look here at the province as a whole, there have been 195 fires so so far throughout the year and there's been just 13 in the last seven days so 13 wildfires in the last week across all of british columbia 
Only three are currently active, and the one that's currently active here in the Kamloops Fire Center region is at uh, Allenby Creek, uh, that's uh, you know near uh, Princeton, and it is just 0.01 hectares in size. That's what it's listed at at this point right now. So clearly. Not something that uh, we need to be overly concerned about. Obviously, we always need to be making sure that we're doing our part to keep the fire activity down, to make sure the human-caused fires are kept to a minimum. Zero would be the perfect number, but I imagine we'll never get there completely because it's just difficult. Of course, people get reckless, people get careless when it comes to their smoking materials or just uh, you know maybe not keeping a, a close eye on their campfires if and when they're having one. So there's going to be some issues. I'm sure it's going to get worse here uh, as we move through the summer. Um, that is going to come as we look for some sunnier weather, I think that's just expected to happen as well. And just looking here at our forecast, I mean, just for Kamloops specifically, we're looking at uh, a chance of rain showers here or some sort of shower activity today, tomorrow, and into Thursday before things start to get a little bit brighter come the weekend. So we're going to get a little bit damper before we get a little bit warmer. That's just something that seems to be coming here with 2020 with all the negative stuff going on in the world. Um, well, the weather's not cooperating much here either. But again, I'll just reiterate, it is good news when it comes to the fire season. Just 40 fires have been reported in the Kamloops Fire Center region so far in the 2020 fire season. Compare that to the 10-year average of 104. Overall, I'd say it's pretty good news. Fire danger, fire danger rating right now is low, up a little bit from that very low danger rating that we have seen for the bulk of the fire season here, um, at least in the recent memory. But uh, overall, keeping it low, and that's good news. All right, well, let's take one little break here. And when I come back, I'm going to be talking about tourism. The, uh, the uh, Thompson Okanagan Tourism Association is out with a new partnership to try to help drum up some business here in the region. And the issue also came up during question periods today at the BC Legislature. So we'll visit all of that in just a little bit. So we'll take a break here. And when and the Jeff Andreas Show will be back shortly. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks for being with me here on July the 7th. It is Tuesday. The COVID-19 pandemic has had a dramatic and devastating effect on tourism businesses in the Thompson and Okanagan regions. Helping the industry recover and become more resilient for the long term is needed. And the Thompson Okanagan Tourism Association, along with nine community futures offices across the region, have for the first time signed a formal agreement to strike a task force committing to develop an active and meaningful relationship on a path to rebuilding a resilient tourism industry, of course, in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm joined on the line now by TOTA Vice President Ellen Walker-Matthews. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So I guess just first of all, before we get into this actual new partnership, I mean, how is the tourism industry doing right now in our region? What has TOTA seen over these last, you know, three plus months and have things gotten better in recent weeks? Oh, that's a very good question, Jeff. Um, certainly the three months were, were very difficult months and, and, and devastating in many, in many respects. Um, we know that we've probably seen about 21% of our tourism industry become insolvent and another 37% or so just based on surveys concerned that they will be able to stay solvent. So it's been a really challenging time uh, since March and, and for the industry as a whole, I know in the province, but certainly in this region, we also have a lot of um, industry that um, say up in your area, up in the Wells Gray and above Kamloops area uh, that depend on international and, and U.S. guests by and large for, for all of their summer business. And so that's been a real challenge for them. 
to try to figure out how to attract a different audience. And, and then, you know, in the last few weeks, um, certainly there's been an uptick. We're, we're certainly seeing a lot of BC people since we hit phase three coming into the region, which is, is terrific. Um, the support of industry and local businesses is, is certainly, uh, I think, something that we're all feeling good about. But it, it by and large, is very difficult to make up for the losses so far. Yeah, and I imagine, I guess, going forward, that's probably going to be the focus for most tourism organizations is on that local tourism, right, and trying to bring people in from other parts of British Columbia to see what's going on here uh, in the interior and in the Okanagan. Is that sort of the focus, I guess, for you guys at this stage of the game? Yes, it certainly is. Um, You know, trying to encourage British Columbians to travel BC, which fortunately they like to do in any year, but they are, are doing much more of that this year. Um, and but again, you know, we still are are long way from having a good year being out of the woods, and we're still very very concerned about the business uh, revenues and making sure that our industry comes out of this in a way that's healthier than than it is right now. And I mean, you talked a little bit about you know just sort of what you're seeing in terms of individual tourism organizations definitely struggling. Some of them, I guess, wondering if they'll be able to rebound at all. Is there a big fear that a lot of places that do offer you know whether it be activities or places to stay that they might not be able to make it through this pandemic? Is there a lot of organizations that you're hearing from that might have to you know shut their doors for good if they don't start to see big improvement or even government support? I guess really coming through in the next little while. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is a concern by industry. Um, there has been government support and, and we're all certainly working to see what more can happen as we go forward. But some of our, much of our industry, Jeff, is uh, entrepreneur, owner-operated, small business. I mean, it, those, are t- those are small margins and the industry in that regard is quite fragile, particularly for those that are providing um, the, the real important part of tourism, which are all those activities that you do when you come. So whether it's cycling or biking or guiding, outfitting and um, whitewater rafting, all of those types of industries that support the region in terms of really making it colorful and exciting and the experience that people want to have when they, when they come here, those are all at risk right now. So we have to be very, very careful uh, to see how we get them through this time. Well, with all that being said, I mean, uh, it's been a tough tough few months for pretty much everybody, uh, you know, no matter what industry you find yourself in. But of course, with tourism, and you mentioned a lot of places that rely on international tourism, that's really just not going to be coming back here in 2020. So with that in mind, you guys have set up this new partnership here with, uh, 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 sorry, community future offices across the region. Tell me a little bit about this partnership and, and why this was something that, you know, it's the first time you signed a formal agreement to form a committee. Why does this time make sense right now? Um, yeah, it's, it's a, we're very excited about the partnership. I mean, community futures offices uh, throughout the, throughout the region, throughout the province, are important to, to small business and business operators. Um, but we wanted to do something that helped uh, us highlight what was going on in tourism, which again, in this region, in our in our rural communities, is an important part of their economic. Uh, uh, health and well-being um you know it, it is all those visitors that come in and use all those services that really help those communities stay strong and we see that when we have other crises like fire and flood you know it really takes a toll when the visitors are, are are not there so community futures we've been working with them in an informal way in different ways over the over the years and we wanted to formalize that and see how we might work together to you know do a variety of things create business opportunities to create 
um, economic opportunities, look for ways for businesses to help to learn how to pivot, help them with education, help them with um, various training programs, and really elevate that into the tourism um, part of industry. Um, Many things that Community Futures offers right now. And how quickly, I guess, uh, will you start to be able to meet together and, and get some of these initiatives going? I mean, uh, th- obviously, this announcement is just coming down here today on a Tuesday. Um, you know, how quickly do you think you'll be able to start to see some of the results or reap some of the benefits of this partnership? Yeah, we, we believe very quickly. We've had tomorrow will be our third meeting as a group, um, and everybody is, is very um, driven to come up with some programs that can be put into place right away. We don't want to just have task force meetings. We want to have things that we can launch and help industry immediately. So hopefully after tomorrow's meeting, I'll be able to tell you that we have some things that we're looking at launching. So, you know, definitely this has been in the works for a couple of weeks and um, we want to really get going and and make a difference um, immediately. Well, I, I know a lot of people in the communities here that we're talking to, I'm sure, are excited to find out what sorts of activities are available to them. And then hopefully we can uh, see some more support for our local tourism industry. I know we all need it and, and we all need things to do as we've been uh, kind of cooped up here for a little while. So I know we're all excited to get out and hopefully we'll see some good initiatives come from this new partnership that we can all take advantage of. Anything else that you want to add before I let you go? No, Jeff, just really appreciate all your support and, uh, and and putting this message out there, and we will be letting you know as soon as we can what, what will come out of this relationship. Perfect. Well, we look forward to it, and then we'll, we'll get the message out when that does come. So thanks so much for the time. Great. Travel BC. That was the vice president of the Thompson Okanagan Tourism Association, Ellen Walker Matthews. And as she mentioned, they're having their third meeting of this uh, committee tomorrow. Again, the Thompson Okanagan Tourism Association and nine community future offices across the region have signed a formal agreement to strike a task force committing to developing an active and meaningful relationship on a path to rebuilding the tourism industry in the wake of COVID-19. And we'll definitely let you know when they have some initiatives to announce and let you know exactly what will be happening because I'm sure it will be good news for the whole region. Now, sticking with tourism here, the issue did come up today at the B.C. legislature during question period. B.C. Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson brought forward the issue asking how Ottawa was able to announce a combined $46 million in additional tourism funding for Quebec and Atlantic Canada, but British Columbia does not appear to be getting its fair share of those dollars that are to be directed towards the tourism sector. He asked, how is it that other provinces have secured those millions of dollars in federal tourism industry relief? But John Horgan has not asked for the $20 million that's due for B.C. Let's listen in here. Uh, we'll talk, start t- take it off the top here with Andrew Wilkinson. And so the question comes back to the Premier. Has the Premier made the proper overtures to the federal government to get the kind of support they're getting in Quebec and Atlantic Canada, or is this yet another opportunity to ignore the tourism industry like he did in his recovery plan? Premier. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. I haven't ignored anything, quite frankly, uh, and I, I'm offended by the, the allegation from the Leader of the Official Opposition. I appreciate that this is question period and hyperbole is the order of the day, but everyone in this House is committed to making sure that British Columbians come out of this better off than we went into it. We are not being negligent, Honourable Member. We are protecting the interests of British Columbians. You may have noticed that there are some communities, and even in the uh, statement uh, from the member for Caribou Chilcotin, there's anxiety in communities about people coming. There's an overwhelming desire to keep the border closed. That's a challenge for tour operators. No question about that. We're going to continue working with them. 
Now, of course, during that response, talks about the concern that people have when it comes to travel. He also went on to say, Primo Horgan, that, you know, the goal is to come out of this better than we were going into it. That sounds... Uh, Pretty difficult to achieve, but I love the thought that comes along with this. Now, the opposition critic for tourism, Michelle Stilwell, she directed a question at the Minister of Tourism, Arts and Culture, Lisa Baer, about what the plan really is to support tourism here in British Columbia. This government has had a lack of support for the tourism industry. It's nothing new. Last year, we saw a decline in attendance of the province's most popular tourism attractions. And what did the Minister of Tourism think would be a good idea? She decided to cut the marketing budget that helps support the tourism industry. So I'd like to ask the Minister of Tourism if that money to the marketing destination BC has been restored. Minister of Tourism, Arts and Culture. Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker. Um, as the members well know, COVID-19 has impacted all British Columbians and all sectors in our economy. And our government knows and recognizes that the tourism sector has been particularly hard hit. But I really want to remind the opposition that we have flattened our curve here in BC to a really strong coordinated provincial approach. And due to all British Columbians taking Dr. Henry's advice and recommendations so serious and to heart. So for tourism, we are focusing on response, recovery and resilience. And our government is taking action. We did provide uh, $5 billion in supports right away, which includes the 19,000 tourism businesses and the 160,000 jobs that people in the tourism industry relied on. We were able to redirect $6 million of Destination BC's uh, funding to create our destination um, domestic marketing campaign. We are speaking with the federal government. I just met uh, with Minister Jolie in the Western Provinces uh, Tourism Ministers last week to discuss ongoing funding. And as the member uh, previous asked, uh, the funding allocated to Quebec and Atlantic Canada. So we're working together moving forward. We're working with the tourism industry to hear what supports they need as we move towards recovery. So Lisa Bear talking a lot about, you know, conversations that are ongoing, a lot of listening that's happening as well. She did go on to talk a little bit about different funding programs that have already been put in place, but nonetheless, still, well, not too pleased with the response. Well, Mr. Speaker, that was a lengthy response with not really a true answer from the minister. And while she continues to delay things, she says that she's working together and listening to the sector, yet... The sector predicts that three out of four tourism jobs could disappear. And Lisa Bear came back to criticize the opposition, saying, well, they haven't really asked a question related to this issue in more than two years. And, well, she had this to say as well. We know, absolutely know that there is more to be done and that's why we're continuing to work with the sector and we're gonna to continue to identify their priorities as we move towards recovery together with the sector. So there you go, a lot of questions in question period today when it comes to the tourism industry and um, I don't know if you can consider some of those things answers, but uh, you know, that's what comes with question period in general. So tourism, it's been hit hard during COVID-19. It's continuing to struggle to regain its footing and many funding programs have been announced there, but as Minister Bear said, more does need to be done. And as we heard earlier here from the Thompson Okanagan Tourism Association, they're working collaboratively to try and come up with solutions. But no matter what comes of these partnerships, the fact remains that it's going to be a difficult road ahead. And there is some fear about the impact that the pandemic will have on.
on being able to maintain existing jobs, let alone create any new runs. And and just sticking with this, uh, one more one more quick note here. Of course, when talking tourism, well, that involves travel, including by air. And a new poll out today is suggesting turbulence ahead for airlines seeking public support for their current COVID-19 plans. 72% of Canadians surveyed by uh, Ledger and the Association for Canadian Studies say they are not comfortable flying since a decision came by some airlines to relax their own in-flight physical distancing requirements. As of Canada Day, both Air Canada and WestJet decided to start filling up those middle seats on their aircrafts. Passengers and crew members are still required to wear masks, but those physical distancing measures have clearly been relaxed. Only 22% of those surveyed said that they're comfortable getting aboard with no in-flight physical distancing and that requirement to wear masks. So, one in five of us is okay with getting on a plane with the current measures in place. With that said, the survey just talked about the comfort level of individuals. It didn't necessarily look at who was actually planning on taking a flight. So even though we may not like it, I am sure there are many more, many more than the one in five will still be getting on a plane either way because, right, we got places to go and people to see. Despite the fact that we're in a pandemic, that doesn't change that that fact exists. All right, well, it's time for me to take a quick break here. But when I come back, how are Canadians feeling about the idea of getting a COVID-19 vaccine? And how are they feeling about the government's handling of the pandemic so far? Well, Research Co. is out with a new poll looking at these questions. I'll be joined by the president of the polling company after this. So stick around. And the Jeff Andrea Show will be right back. opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back into the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks for being with me here on this Tuesday. Now, how are Canadians feeling about the idea of getting a COVID-19 vaccine? Has the opinion of people changed at all over the course of these past few months? Well, Research Co. is out with a new survey on just that, and I'm joined now by President Mario Canseco. Mario, how are you doing here this afternoon? Doing great, Jeff. Great to be here. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time. Appreciate it. So let's just start off with that question. How are Canadians feeling about the you know, just the idea of getting a vaccine for COVID-19. Are people feeling pretty comfortable or optimistic that it would have a positive impact? Well, it is definitely a situation where most Canadians are comfortable with this. 75% uh, told us that they would take a COVID-19 vaccine if one becomes available. This is up two points from a survey that we conducted back in April. So we haven't really seen the level of resistance towards vaccines uh, as a whole that we see in the United States, for instance. And when it comes to COVID-19, the numbers are fairly similar from what we had a couple of months ago. So definitely a smaller proportion, uh, roughly around 15 to 20 percent Canadians, when we've asked, who say that they're not willing to do this, but many others say that they want to. Yeah, so three and four willing to go about getting that vaccine, and I'm sure that number might increase the longer this pandemic does, in fact, go on. Um, how has people's attitudes changed when it comes to the government's handling of COVID-19? Have you seen any changes when you looked at that question? Well, it's been particularly remarkable when you're looking at the numbers for the federal government. It's been consistently between 66 and 70 percent, and we have it this month at 70 percent saying they are satisfied with how the federal government is handling COVID-19, 70% happy with their municipal governments. The big shift is on the uh, way other governments are dealing with this. When you look at, at the numbers provincially, uh, it's up 11 points across the country to 75%, but not everything is happening at the same rate. In BC, for instance, the level of satisfaction 
with the way the BC government has handled this pandemic is 83%, significantly higher than what we see, for instance, in Alberta at 62%. So something is going well here, and it's not something that is uniform when you're looking at other provinces of Canada. And just to follow that up, I mean, I'm guessing that partially probably uh, correlates with, you know, just the number of Canadians that are satisfied with their provincial government's handling of it. I'm imagining that there is some relationship between that that uh, question on the survey and, and the response you're getting versus the number of cases that are in those provinces. Like, how are Ontario and Quebec faring compared to a province like B.C. that seems pretty happy with their government? Yeah, the numbers are not that great. You know, we do see a little bit of a shift in Ontario, 76% satisfied, which is still seven points lower than what we have in B.C., but in Quebec, it's 69%. And what is really crucial here is when we started asking this question back in March, the highest level of satisfaction was observed in Quebec. It was almost 90%. So the more this pandemic continues, the more people in Quebec are starting to take a second look at the way their own government has been handling things. They started off very well, but now their numbers are more towards the middle of the pack. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes a whole lot of sense just based on what we've seen over the last couple of months. Those numbers definitely correlate as well. Um, Mario, now, uh, you looked in this survey at a couple of other things, too, when it comes to just how comfortable people are when, you know, being out in public, for example. One of the things you looked at is is the number of Canadians who are wearing a mask when they go out. How many people in your survey are, are doing that? How many people are wearing them on a very regular basis? Well, this was a big shift from when we asked back in May, and only 14% of Canadians say that they were always wearing a mask when they went outside. This time around, it's 48%, so roughly half of Canadians saying, every time I'm out of my house, I am wearing a mask. Now, the big thing here, and this is something that has been consistent throughout this COVID-19 pandemic, is women taking a more cautious approach. 57% of women in Canada saying they are not leaving home without a mask. The number drops to 39% with men. So it might look great when we, when we look at the number that says 50% or almost 50% of Canadians are wearing masks outside, uh, but women tend to be more cautious than men. Men are definitely not at the level that we would like to see when it comes to wearing masks outside the home. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, stubborn men out there, I guess, eh? Um, <laughs> One more question here, Mary, because we're almost up on the clock. But uh, one of the things that I did really find interesting here about this survey was talking about how people are cleaning their groceries. This is something I heard a lot about when the pandemic first launched, right? People would go grocery shopping and they'd come home and they'd wipe down all their boxes and things before they would put them away in the cupboard. Is that still happening? It is happening, but not at the same level it was before. When we asked in May, 47% of Canadians said they were cleaning all of their groceries in order to make sure that they weren't infected. Now it's down to 40%. Again, women are more cautious and definitely doing this more than men. Uh, but it's still a big change. You know, two out of five people saying, I'm not just getting stuff out of the store and putting it in my cupboard. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Obviously, once we have this vaccine, we might go back to life without having to wash everything. Uh, but at this stage, the numbers dropped, but not as much as I thought they would. Well, I'm hoping that happens sooner than later, Mario. But until then, I am uh, definitely happy you come on and provide some data on, on just how Canadians are, are feeling and acting towards everything throughout this whole pandemic. So appreciate you taking the time, and we'll catch up again down the road. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Jeff. Anytime. All right. There you go. There's the president of Research Co., Mario Canseco, and you can read the whole survey there online at researchco.com. All right. Well, that's about it for me here today. So thanks so much for taking the time to join me. And, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed your time while it lasted. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, and I'll be back here tomorrow at noon.